Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Jeff Griffin. Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, stories of inspiring achievements and community contribution. Every week, we will celebrate an award program category winner or finalist. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know that Australia is in good hands. Together with our corporate partners and not-for-profit partners, Awards Australia showcase ordinary people from right across Australia doing extraordinary things. If you enjoy hearing the stories of our inspirational Australians, please subscribe, rate us and review us. We'd really appreciate it. My guest today is an outstanding young leader and community entrepreneur. In recognition of of her significant ongoing community work, Aidy Delaney was acknowledged as a finalist in last year's Heather and Christopher Chong Outstanding Achiever Award, which is part of the Tasmanian Community Achievement Awards. It's great to chat with you today, Aidy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have our chat because you... Uh, a bit of an all-rounder in many respects. We've done so many <laughs> things. I'm quite fascinated about uh, your co- uh, career as a trapeze artist. While back, you left that in Europe to open the circus studio. You created a three-year curriculum to teach students circus skills. That sounds pretty fascinating in itself. Can you tell us a bit more about your career and uh, your curriculum? I certainly can. So I was a professional trapeze artist for most of my working life. I found out that that was possible when I was 16. So since then, I set my sights on going to Circus University, which is a thing. I am qualified. (laughs) So I have a degree in circus arts, which is a a B Circ A or a Berserka, as I like to call it. It sounds actually incredible that you can actually do a qualification, organic qualification. Tell us a bit more about how that came about and, of course, then your experiences. Well, my mum's a physiotherapist, so I largely credit her with my finding the circus. I was um, I was the only one of my three siblings that was kept on a leash as a child because I was very energetic and I really liked high things and being up high. So uh, my mum noticed this in me and she also noticed that I wasn't particularly very flexible. So I couldn't touch my toes when I was four years old and flexibility is always something that I've had to work at. So she thought it would be beneficial for me to start gymnastics. So I did. And I really, really enjoyed that, but not so much the competitive elements of it. And, yeah, discovered that circus was possible. So I I really set my sights on that and applied to the Circus University and got in and did some really intense training, which set me up really, really well. And since graduating the university, I, in a similar way, set my sights on being a performer full-time, spent about a year volunteering my time, just trying to get out, get some experience, and then things just sort of took off from there. I got a job in a traditional circus and then I got a job with another circus and I ended up staying with one circus in particular for about eight years, really sort of found a home there. But, yeah, travelled all over Europe doing the caravan thing, putting up the big top, sledgehammering stakes in and (laughs) swinging and flying and then taking the tent down, moving along and doing it all again. So you have to be a jack of all trades in the circus, helping out with everything? Yeah, or a Jill. Or a Jill, yeah, exactly, (laughs) as the case may be. Yeah, it's really helpful if everybody likes to muck in and and do everything, and we really did everything. Like, yes, we put the big top up involving rolling canvas and, as I said, sledgehammering, loading trucks, Um, and then on site you help out in the kitchen, you... um, clean the toilet blocks and the showers, you go out into the streets and promote the show, and then, of course, you also train and do the show. So it's uh, <laughs> it's 
I mean, I look back on it now and I think how exhausting it must have been, but I don't, I do remember being tired on occasion, but it was just so much fun. And really you develop such close relationships with people that you are living and working with that it is just a blast. It was just so much fun, very much a family. I do refer to the people that I toured with as my second family or my circus family. Yeah. I imagine you would need to be quite flexible to be on a trapeze though. I mean, you mentioned lack of flexibility young. Obviously that mm. didn't become quite so much of a problem. You would have had to work very hard on your uh, physical yeah. to be fit. Yeah, that, that's always been my nemesis has been flexibility and it's something that I have to even now consistently make myself continue to stretch because if I don't stretch I have problems with sciatica and, you know, joint pain and things and for me that's flexibility related. That's not the same for everyone but I don't have that problem with my strength like my strength is something that I've generally enjoyed working at and same for cardio I find it fun and enjoyable so that stuff sort of comes more naturally I would say and and is more part of my everyday life but definitely I have to be like okay I should probably stretch now (laughs) I have an extreme fear of heights so I'm in awe (laughs) of you clearly you weren't scared being up so high quite the opposite quite the opposite I've always felt very at home up high things I would always climb trees as a child I would run to the edge of cliffs and look over because I like the feeling that it gave me Um, and I feel safe the higher I am the safer I feel which is I think strange for some people to get my head around, but there's something for me about being up high and being able to see everyone, but them not necessarily knowing I'm there. And like, it's the same sitting in a theatre. I really don't like sitting in the front row because there's so many people behind me that can see me and I'm not seeing them. So there's something there as well. But yeah, being up high sort of makes me feel um, untouchable in a way, I guess. Oh, well, um, are there any trapeze artists that have had to go through quite some coaching because they have a fear, although they love, you know, being part of the circus and want to be a trapeze artist. Is that a thing? Yeah, definitely. There's There's been a lot of people who have come into my life that uh, have struggled with heights. More often, though, I would say I've met people that have struggled with motion sickness. Okay. <laughs> So I do swinging trapeze, which is where you stand on a bar and go backwards and forwards, and I also do flying trapeze and other types. But that one in particular, um, yeah, it can make people feel really motion sick when they get up there. But fear of heights is a thing as well, and there's a lot you can do to mitigate that, like can make sure that safety systems are in place and people understand how they work. And that's a lot of what I do as a teacher is ensuring that people are really informed about their safety because feeling safe and being safe are two different things. So I need to work with people to find out what's going to help them feel safe because I can do everything I like to be, to tell them that they're safe and I know they're safe, but that doesn't actually mean anything unless they feel safe. And for most people that's being informed about and understanding about how they're safe. Well, that is a nice segue into uh, Circus Studio. Tell us more about how that came about. What led you to start Circus Studio, you know, to return and um, get that established? I always nurtured a love of teaching and a love of helping other people. And what I didn't realise at the time that I was travelling around performing was that a big part of what I enjoyed about performing was reaching the audience and showing people that we can fly and that could be possible for them as well. So I did, I've always taught and that's always been something I've gone back to in between performing. And at a certain point, it was actually a specific job that I did. I got a job uh, and it was on paper a perfect job. Like I got paid really well to do the skill that I do and that was it. It was a great show. But I was going on stage just doing my five-minute act and then that was it. So I didn't really feel like I was contributing anything to the world for want of a better way to put it. 
So that job really, really helped me decide that I would rather not perform than perform in that way because I need to be giving something. I need to be reaching people and I need to be improving the world. So that was a turning point. And from there, I sort of transitioned myself more into teaching full time. I ended up managing a community circus over in the UK as part of the circus that I was working for. So they were really amazing in facilitating that transition. Then I grew up here, so I had, I'd always sort of thought I would end up back here, but I was getting to the end of my visa for being in the UK and my partner was about to turn 30 and that's the point where it becomes more difficult to get a visa for Australia. So it was really those kind of boring bureaucratic reasons why we ended up moving to Australia. So here we are. I was also at a point where I needed hip surgery for an injury that I'd been carrying for a while. So it was also unrealistic for me to continue performing full time. That's not really possible in Tasmania anyway. There's just not the work. So all of those things combined came to a point where we were like, okay, we'll make the move to Australia. And then the gymnastic centre where I trained as a child actually was super accommodating and they let me come back and start some circus classes there and they really facilitated me being able to build the circus studio and to and to get that business off the ground i am very indebted to them the curriculum was something that i was working on over in europe and i was sort of picking up bits and pieces from all the other bits and pieces that I was teaching around the place and a lot of circus at that time was just sort of being taught on the fly pun intended (laughs) um so people with circus skills and this is a generalization but lots of people with circus skills would um come and just pass those skills on to classes and there wasn't a whole lot of structure around it so I started thinking like more long-term and setting some longer-term goals. Then to reach those goals, I just worked backwards and and was like, if we're going to be able to juggle three balls at that time, we need to work back. And at this point, we should be juggling two balls at this point, one. And I sort of did that for six different areas of circus and put it all in a book. So now it exists and people who come to teach with us have a guide then, which is flexible because the beautiful thing about circus is that it is at the perfect intersection of art and sport. So there's a lot of flexibility for a facilitator to inject creativity and allow assertiveness to grow and teamwork to happen. So the curriculum is a guide of how to teach physical skills, but there's a lot of space in there for games and play and individual learning. Tell us about three-year curriculum you developed. Um, I I, I know it's part of what you're talking about, but uh, are there units, uh, you know, there's specific um, uh, processes to follow in a particular order? How does that work? It is set up um, almost chronologically, I guess, is the way to do it. It's 12 steps. It's called circus steps. So there's 12 steps and each step takes roughly one term and there's guidance in there about if someone is working on step one, these are the sorts of things that we work on. So we're able to group kids that are learning in a, in a group with someone who's also learning similar things because a lot of the things are like human pyramids so you need three other people that are also working on the same thing um but of course you know we work with in the individual so there are kids that are really really good at juggling and not so good at cartwheels and versa, there's kids that are really good at hanging upside down and climbing by their arms but not so good at balancing things on their fingers or so that's kind of what I mean by it. it's a framework yeah. more than more than itemized lesson plans, which exist, but they're there to follow with a broader view to kids achieving what they want to achieve, basically. So they can major in certain components of circus more so than others if they wish. 
Yeah, there's space yeah, for kids to lean into their strengths. Yeah. What's some, what have been some of the great outcomes of uh, Circus Studio? I would say if we need a tangible example of the things that we're doing, the Wild Island Youth Circus is probably one of our greatest achievements to date. So that's a group of young people that have been training with us for varying amounts of time, but lots of them have been with us for a few years. And they they have a class where they work just them in the space and they make shows together and they perform and they do roving at different events and things and they have a lot of say in how that is run and they also have a lot of say in how the circus studio as a whole is run. Um, we obviously follow really closely to the national um, what are they called, the National Childhood Principles, which basically says that young people should be involved in the decisions that affect them. So we try to get our young people, our youth circus, involved in pretty much every aspect of the circus studio. So they come to our AGM, um, they come to our adult events, they help stage manage some of our other events. So they're really getting like a broader overview of how to run an artistic business, which I think is a really good life skill. And they meet with like our operations manager when they did their show last year, they sat down and they figured out the budget with their operations manager. So they know where their hard work is going and they, we don't charge for them to perform, but we do cover expenses. And then obviously we accept donations above that and any donations we get go back into the program. So then the kids have a choice there about whether they want to spend that on costumes, whether they need more equipment or all of those kind of things. So it's really, really rewarding to see those young people take ownership and be empowered by being able to do that. And I think that's come about by our trauma-informed practices that we're doing. We, we are, I would say we are a trauma-informed circus school, which has taken a few years to get there, but we are at a point where most of our staff are um, trauma-informed trained, so they understand the nature of trauma and how to work with kids who may have a history of trauma, and I think this just creates a really accepting environment for anyone who walks through our doors. Yeah, brilliant. Sounds like an absolute comprehensive program, not just learning flexibility, circus uh, contribution, but really empowering in life skills as well. So Yeah, yeah, I feel really strongly about that. And, and the trauma-informed approach is about the entire community. So we are trying to do that for our instructors as well, for our staff so that they feel involved and empowered and also our adult students and our board members and, yeah, as I say, any any community member that comes through the door and we're lucky that we're small enough that we can do that. Like I think we all know the name of everybody who walks through our door and anyone that we don't know is welcomed immediately and, and yeah, I hope that we are having a really open and welcoming space. Sounds absolutely brilliant. And I know, uh, Aidy, that you're also involved in so many other things. You are involved also with your work at the Sexual Assault Support Service, an extremely important work that you do there. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do, what, what's involved? Absolutely. Every time I explain this, I start to see a pattern in my life. <laughs> I ended up working at SAS because when I arrived here, I set up the circus studio and then about a year into that, I was sort of feeling that I knew what I was doing, it was under control and that I wasn't really being challenged in that work. And so it sort of came back to this thing of like, I feel like I can be doing more and I feel like circus can be doing more for the community, but I didn't know how to go about it. So the job came up at SAS and my friend actually was working there at the time and suggested that I could apply and I was looking for something to do and I thought I would like to go into schools and do motivational speaking or something about, hey, you don't have to be a doctor or a lawyer if you don't want to be, you can be a trapeze artist and that is also something that works. <laughs> 
So I applied for the job at SAS as an educator. And clearly I interviewed very well because they decided that it would be easier to teach someone the content that they needed to deliver than it would to be te to teach someone to be engaging with young people. So they were, they were looking for someone to go into schools and talk to young people essentially about consent. So my job title is primary prevention educator, which means that I'm working on preventing sexual harm before it occurs which means I need a very in-depth understanding of the issues of sexual abuse so that I can talk to young people in a way that means that won't happen to them, hopefully. So really what I'm doing is talking to kids about intimacy and how to have good, healthy, happy, positive, intimate relationships if and when they want them. I imagine connection between yourself and the student, the person, the individual, would be really important uh, as well. And I imagine with all of your life experiences, you would have some ease. And I mean, I can talk to you. I know you're very easy to talk to. So, And I imagine that is so important, getting that connection for people to open up and you'd be able to get through uh, that all that needs to be, you know, relayed. You are very right, yes. And that comes back to safety as well. And, I mean, before I was talking about feeling safe and being safe, and really that is our physical safety versus our psychological or emotional safety. So a lot of the work that I'm doing through SAS is primarily focused on safety. People can't engage with something if they don't feel safe. It's like if you have a car crash, you're not about to start your healing journey by getting in a Formula One race car. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, a lot of my circus training and skills actually became really applicable to this role because I have to walk into a classroom of 20-odd kids. I have up to three hours with them, max, and I need to talk to them about things that are historically not comfortable to talk about. So being able to use some of those games and activities and tools to help people feel comfortable with me and to feel comfortable with the content is definitely a skill set that has come from circus teaching and is, is really ap applicable to this work. As you say, I think that three hours is such an important period to to be able to relate to young people it's such an important topic so so critical you know you think of sexual assault you think of uh, domestic violence there are such real issues that we all need to be far more aware of and be involved in supporting young people all people uh, particularly women i think who of course at the wrong end of domestic violence far, far too often, such a tragic situation. So where you're starting at is in schools is so important. And I think we all, all of our listeners would hail and say thank you so much to uh, the support service for what you do and any similar types of services that provide such an important work cannot be undervalued, underappreciated uh, enough, I think. So all power to you. And we wish you well and, you know, in regards to reaching out to young people uh, and trying to help them, educate them in terms of how they go about that process. Yeah, that's very kind of you to say. And I think, yeah, the, the really important thing about the education that I'm giving young kids is that it's a really empowering approach. It's not... It's not like stranger danger. It's not don't do this, don't do that. It's, it's more about, you know, if you want to feel close to someone, you should have that right and that opportunity and the people that want to be close to you should be involved in that negotiation and that discussion. And, I mean, I, I love my job because I'm not on the difficult end, you know. I, I go to the office every work day and I see the counsellors there working with people who have experienced sexual harm and I don't know how they do it. It's their resilience and, and yeah, they're, they are superheroes. They are the unsung heroes because I just get to go out and have fun conversations with young people about 
issues that affect them. And that's another beautiful thing about my job is I get to have those conversations and I learn something every single time I work with a group of young people. And to be able to get up in the morning knowing that you could potentially help someone uh, is pretty impressive and uh, pretty worthwhile as well. Yeah, and that's what makes the hard conversations manageable. It does happen. I do receive disclosures of harm from young people and it's never fun, it's never comfortable, it's, it's never good. But on the other side of that, I know that this young person is now going to get help, It's going to be supported, and that is a positive thing. So I would rather be there receiving that disclosure than having never provided that young person that opportunity. 100% and you don't know how that might also benefit their mental health moving forward as well. So, you know, I think that's an important part that we all need to be aware of. People's mental health is affected by myriads of things and the longer things go on in their mind, uh, the more they feel that they're responsible or it's their fault or whatever it might be that their mental health suffers. So, yeah, I think that's terrific. And I know that uh, the program won an Australian Crime and uh, Violence Prevention Award too. Can you tell us how that came about? That happened in 2018. So I'd been working on the program for a year by that point. Um, I was working on that with my mentor, Peter, who is also an incredible human being and is still a very important part of my professional life Um but, yeah, he initially designed the, the program that went into schools. He's a social worker by trade and recognised the need to be talking to children and to be talking to young people much earlier than, than what we were. So he made the framework and then I came on board and together we grew it and, you know, it's it continues to grow. As I said, I still learn things um, every single time I work with a group of young people and that informs how we deliver the, the program in the future. We do pre- and post-feedback surveys from high school students every time we do that as well, and that's anonymous, so hopefully um, kids feel like it's a space that they, they can feed back truthfully, and we use that. We read every response and we use that to also inform the program. And then I use the existing program to develop the primary school program. So we have a, a program that goes into primary schools as well, and that is the most fun. That's something that I really, really enjoy doing. Um, and I think that it's something that the adults in these kids' world are really grateful for as well, the conversations I have. I mean, we always do um, training with adults before we work with any of the kids or students so that they're prepared and they understand where we're coming from and why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and there's always such positive feedback about um, the relief they feel about having someone who knows how to talk to kids about this stuff because it doesn't need to be scary and it doesn't need to be the talk or a big sit-down conversation. It's sort of new reframing of how, how we look at the world and how we look at body autonomy and consent and all of these things. Um, and if anyone's interested in a summary of the philosophy around these programs and everything, I did a TED Talk last year, which can look up, and that I think, I hope, very eloquently summarises the need for... A refreshed look at consent. You're so right. I, but consent is an extremely important thing and we can misread things. We need to understand what boundaries are and mm. uh, as individuals we need to know that we are entitled to set those boundaries and stick to them if yep. someone doesn't want to. So, And I think we have a fundamental misunderstanding of what consent is these days. I, I rarely want to talk about the problems. i very often want to talk about solutions rather than that. But I, I do think it's worth mentioning that we, as a culture, do not have a collective understanding of what consent is. And there's a lot of fear around it. There's a lot of victim blaming around it. There's a lot of... I'm on a bit of a mission to, to redefine consent and I think we need to start separating permission and consent. I think permission is something that we can 
give for objects and possessions. And I think consent is solely related to ourselves and our bodies, our body, our choice. So I think a lot of people confuse the two and they think that um, they think that consent is like a thing, like this water bottle that I'm holding. They think it's an object that you can give to someone or it's something that someone can take from someone and then they have it. And you hear that in our language. You hear us talking about I had consent or I they gave consent. So for me that doesn't reflect the true nature of consent, which is not a noun, it's a verb. So we are either consenting or not consenting at all times. But again, my TED oh, talk. I think, it's a, <laughs> I think it's a valid point, though, and it's certainly going to be interesting to listen to your TED talk. So uh, please do share that a uh, little bit down the track. Now, you're also a member of the Human Valley Arts and Cultural Committee. I am. Tell us about that. This was... Uh, this was another way for me to connect with my artistic creative side. I found myself going to work and going to my other work and working a lot and not really, you know, coming from a career as a performance artist, it's, it was hard to take a step back from that because that's an, it's a side of myself that I want to nurture. So, um, the opportunity to be involved in my community in an artistic way and to talk to other artists about, creating art in the area that I live felt really important and I feel really happy that I'm able to be involved and able to be part of those decisions. Fantastic. Well, you uh, give back in so many different ways, which is amazing. And I mentioned earlier, of course, that you were a finalist in last year's Heather and Christopher Chong Outstanding Achiever Award. You are clearly outstanding in so many ways uh, so very worthy congratulations again for becoming a finalist last year in that award uh, and I should say Heather and Christopher Chong are very community focused and it's a, an extraordinary thing that a couple actually sponsor an award and I'm always uh, indebted to them for their support of our awards both the Community Achievement Awards and the Young Achiever Awards. Can I ask you, uh, Aidy, what was your initial reaction to being nominated and how did that make you feel? I was surprised initially. It made me feel wonderful. Um, I felt very seen in that moment. Um, but my surprise was mostly just because I don't feel that I'm doing anything outstanding and I don't feel that I'm doing anything above and beyond what I see a lot of other people giving to the world, you know? Like I think most people are in pursuit of careers that fulfil them and as social animals, human beings like to help other people. So I don't see what I'm doing as anything particularly special, I guess. It's... You know, I work like everybody else and I look after my work-life balance like everybody else um, and it just happens that I, I think I have a unique perspective and I think there's not too many circus performers that have turned around and worked in allied health in the way that I have. And also that connection between um, consent and circus and, and what circus can teach us about consent and body autonomy is a very unique perspective that I think has a lot of broad appeal because people look at circus performers as these amazing people that do gravity-defying stunts and it seems very unreal. It's incredibly empowering to realise that we that anyone could learn to do that and when I'm teaching circus, I see the opportunity for us to empower people. So I'm just doing what comes naturally to me through my work, and I think everybody does that. Well, I think it is um, quite humbling to know, to, to know, to learn that people like you are human because uh, it, <laughs> it is an unbelievable thing to see someone up there flying through the air with the greatest of ease, so to speak. Sometimes. Uh, but, I, <laughs> but I think... Part of the nominate, I mean, you, you, you speak like most people, but I'm just doing what needs to be done. I just do what I love. Uh, I do what I'm trained for. Um, the fact that people are nominated and feel that way is part of a special feeling 
about being involved in the awards because it's everyday Australians doing extraordinary things. And that's what I love about the awards is the validation, the confidence that it gives people, you know, the, the privilege of being nominated, but that unexpected humility of saying, well, gee, uh, I'm feeling a bit humble about this because I'm just, I'm just 80 and I just do what I <laughs> love doing. Okay, I hope to think that I do it well, but I'm just doing it. So and I think that's a special part. Uh, yeah, I think, look, seeing all the other nominees uh, was, uh, I, I can't think of the right word, but I started out with imposter syndrome, but then looking around at the other nominees, but then you think, well, I also was nominated. So these people are also doing what they do and that is contributing to the world. And I think that we should own our successes and we should be proud of that. So I do and I am. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's part of the awards too. We, we all have, but well, most of us have a little bit of imposter syndrome, don't we? And uh, I mean, it'd be great if we didn't. And I think you're right. Let's own the good things that we do. Yeah, we should. We have to. Keep being better at them. And then yeah. the world's going to be a better yeah. place. There is no shame in doing good things. <laughs> okay. And there's there's a little too much of that, I think, in Australia. We, I think tall poppy syndrome persists and I'm on a mission to get rid of it because it's heartbreaking when you give someone a compliment and they say, oh, no, but this, oh, no, but that. No, you did a great thing and that is great. And you should be thanked for it. So, well, imposter yeah. syndrome—it's—it uh, uh, exists because of the people who want to put people down because they're not doing enough themselves. So, if they put others down, potentially makes them feel better. But uh, yeah, let's own it, be proud of it, and keep doing it. That's probably the most important thing. Keep doing it. Keep aiming to be better than we were the day before. The 2021 Community Achievement Awards, in fact, are open across the country starting late May this year. If any of our listeners would like to find out how to nominate someone or more about sponsorship opportunities as well, head to awardsaustralia.com to get some more information. We would certainly love everybody listening to nominate someone like Aidy who's out there doing good stuff and making a difference no matter of whether how much imposter syndrome we think we have, we are worthy and people are worthy of being nominating. So make sure you nominate someone. It's a cool thing to do and it certainly makes the person you nominate feel really good. Aidy, what's something that we might not know about you? Oh, lots of things. We've only been here half an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am completely obsessed with my dog. <laughs> You're a dog parent, as I understand it. I am a dog parent, yes. My dog has her own Instagram account, which is more wow. than I do. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, also very much into gardening. Just been making some more tomato passata today because that's the season that we're in. Does that keep you grounded? No. <laughs> it does. I think I realised that I was older because I got genuine pleasure from being out in my garden. I also knew that I was heading towards middle age because I got my vacuum cleaner serviced. <laughs> That's something that I never thought I would pay money for. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Brings you back to reality. It certainly does. Um, lots of things. I'm an avid board gamer. Very, very geeky in that regard. One in particular. Uh, one game in particular. What's your fancy? Oh, I am completely obsessed with a game called Wingspan, which is okay. about birds. You play an ornithologist and you have to inhabit your different habitats with birds. It's very educational as well. I highly recommend if you're into those strategy engine building type games. What's it called? Wing? Wingspan. Oh, Wingspan. All right, there you go. There's a game yep. out there. <laughs> creator of Wingspan. You've got a free plug. Yep, yep. That's cool. Um, I am allergic to numbers but have a knack for languages. There you go. Oh, yeah, that's 
I guess the language is a little bit more creative, maybe. I guess so, maybe. Who knows? I don't know, but numbers, I don't think there are too many. Sorry, accountants. People. (laughs) Accountancy is never a career path that I will be pursuing. I can tell you that. Never crossed my mind either. Uh, And I believe you don't mind a surf. I do love surfing. I actually discovered surfing. A friend of mine introduced it to me and I took it up as a hobby that kept me fit but didn't hurt when I fell off. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. (laughs) Are you a multi-potentialite? Yes, yes. I have Emily Wapnick to thank for this phrase, whose TED Talk is also excellent. But she talks about how lots of people are not made for one career. And we have a cultural expectation that we go to school, we learn how to do a thing, and we do that for our lives. And that is not the truth for a lot of people. And I include myself among those people who identify as multi-potentialites which means that we are good at lots of different things and those people are really valuable in our society because you need different perspectives on things and someone who jumps from project to project does have that. So there is a lot of, a lot of value in people that do one thing very, very well as well. Of course. Definitely need those people. Um, and I would say, I would maybe put my sister in that category. My sister runs the circus studio with me and we have the best working relationship because we are polar opposites. So she does everything I don't do and vice versa, which means that we just work so fantastically well together. And that is always my business advice to people. If they would like to start a business, I might find someone who does everything you don't. <laughs> don't find someone that you jam with and you're like, yeah, we love the same things. We're going to make a business because we both love th- doing this thing. That's not going to work out. You need someone who does the things you don't. Well, my wife doesn't like ironing. And I <laughs> so a true story, she bought me an iron, a really good quality iron once for my birthday. <laughs> Another birthday got a washing machine at my request. So, you know, everybody's different. I can't the understand. vacuum cleaner was a gift from my partner. <laughs> uh, well, there, there you go. Yeah, I, I agree. Opposites attract for, uh, <laughs> for all the right reasons. I mean, you're obviously very passionate, Aidy. What drives your passions? What drives you, makes you tick? I think that desire to be contributing something and... I mean, we were just speaking about my partner, but my partner Gareth is an incredible human being and he is so empathetic and that is not necessarily something that comes naturally to me. I mean, I'm an empathetic human being, but he is consistently thinking about other people and how other people's experiences will be affected by his actions. And so that to me is really inspiring. Um, and I'm always learning about things, you know, we've been together over 10 years now and he still says things and I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, he has interactions with people that I just, yeah, it's amazing. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that those two main things, a desire and a need to be contributing to the world and looking around me at inspiring people like the person I share my life with. They're good reasons to be passionate. And my dog. My dog is, she's clever, you know. <laughs> yeah. she, she teaches me a lot about, about things as well because she doesn't communicate with language, but she speaks. <laughs> yeah, dogs can certainly teach us a lot, of, a lot about life and how yeah. we treat people and how we should react, not just in the good times. Exactly. I think they teach us a lot about that. There must be times when it all gets a little bit too much, though, or you're feeling a little low. What do you do? To, what do you do to reset or bounce back and recharge? I think I mentioned work-life balance before, and that is something that is very dear to my heart. I work four days a week, and that is intentional. So I have every Friday off. Yay! <laughs> Yay, Friday! Yeah, <laughs> uh, there are exceptions, obviously, but yes, Fridays. So particularly with the work at the sexual assault support service, I do two days a week and that is definitely my capacity. I don't have 
any more emotional energy to be working in that space. So that means that I'm able to bring my full self to that work. Um, and I'm very well looked after at that workplace. I got a lot of supervision. There's EAP available, um, employee assistance programs. So um, I feel really well supported and that's a big part of it. So at the circus studio, I try to do that for my staff members as well. I try to make sure that they're really, really well supported. And certainly finding space from the circus studio has been harder because that's a business that I started um, five to seven years ago, depending on when you start the timeline. Um, So that as sort of a personal project, a baby almost, it's been harder to step away from that because you're running the Facebook page, you're running the phone and that, you know, you can't necessarily turn it off when you're trying to grow a business. But we're at a point where um, we are big enough, we're employing an administrative assistant, administrative officer, sorry, as we speak, I'm interviewing for that this evening, which means that a lot of that workload will no longer be, I mean, I will be able to sort of set that time aside. But yeah, so I, I, I like to think I'm good at noticing if I'm working too hard, but I do rely a little bit on Gareth, my partner, telling me, are you sure you're not taking too much on? (laughs) Are you sure maybe you shouldn't just stay at home and have a sleep tonight instead of going out? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's he's holding the reins. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's next for AD Delaney? I have just been successful in auditioning for a theatre show, so I'm going to be playing Medusa on stage, which I'm pretty Uh, excited about. Yeah, I get to flex those creative muscles again. So I'm really excited about working with this director um, and with the cast as well, who I'm going to meet on Sunday. So, yeah, yeah, and that is a story of... um, a character working through sexual trauma so it's again something that's really close to my heart and um so I'm looking forward to working on that and and exploring that character on stage and the other big thing is that I'm trying very very hard to find us a new building for the circus studio we are rapidly outgrowing our space um I know that the listeners can't hear can't see they can hear not see that I'm actually sitting in my office, which is also a storeroom. So there are stacks of hula hoops and unicycles and rigging things behind me. Um, so yes, we are almost at capacity. We have wait lists on all of our classes and we really, really need a new building. One of the biggest reasons is because I want a flying trapeze that needs to happen. (laughs) That would be cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. So if there's anyone in southern Tasmania who has a large warehouse sitting empty that they would like us to move, like a little circus to move into, please get in touch. Or if you want to build us a building, that's also fine. Yeah. Any philanthropists out there want to sponsor a trauma-informed circus space, I am ready and waiting your call. Well, it's exciting in many regards that you have that problem that you've grown it is. To where you need to move. It is. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, and I hope you're able to solve that. Maybe one of our listeners can help you do that, as you say. So what uh, words of wisdom do you have for our listeners that you haven't already imparted? Mm. Everything in moderation, including moderation. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's yeah. very good. Wisdomified? Yeah. it's one of my favorites it's how i justify how i live my life (laughs) basically everything in moderation including moderation yeah i didn't make it up i heard it from somewhere that i can't quote but yeah it's good i think it's good life advice yeah Uh, i like it where can our listeners connect with you and um uh, have a look at your ted talk too well the ted talk is very googleable very internet searchable. You can Google A.D. Delaney TED Talk. It's called An Aerialist on Listening to Your Body's Signals. And it was filmed during the pandemic, so it's pretty high quality, which I'm happy about. Awesome. Um, 
Unfortunately, I think we were talking about this before we started recording, but I am a technophobe, so I am not super active on any social media platforms, but I am on LinkedIn and I'm happy to be contacted there. Um, and I do post up there when exciting things are happening. You can follow the Circus Studio on Facebook or Instagram. You can also follow Wild Island Circus, the young people on Instagram and well my dog but that's not super relevant <laughs> how do people find your dog it's life with lilu she's named after the character from the fifth element movie <laughs> life with lilu 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 dallas multibus if you've seen the movie oh yeah a long time ago um <laughs> so i Life with Lilu, you've got Circus Studio. Yep, thecircusstudio.net.au. Okay, so that's cool. And LinkedIn if people want to uh, have a yes. chat with you to help you with your um, new warehouse, for example. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> or to find out more about Circus Studio, go to The Circus Studio to sign up, become more flexible to learn more about life and... Uh, to achieve and growth. to learn how to fly. And to learn how to fly. Wow, sounds pretty good. If you want to be <laughs> grounded, learn how to fly. That's Love it. That's a good tagline. Yeah, there you go. No charge. <laughs> well, uh, Amy, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. You're an absolute inspiration and legend. Thanks so much for sharing some of your story with us. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for your kind words. Pleasure. Well, I hope everybody listening has enjoyed hearing AD's story. Until next week, please be kind and remember, together we make a difference. I hope you enjoyed today's interview as much as I have. We would love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you won't miss an episode. Join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. Did you know that Awards Australia is a family-owned business that proudly makes a difference in the lives of those that make a difference for others. And we thank our corporate and not-for-profit partners for making our award programs possible. Do you know someone that's making a difference? Or maybe your business might like to sponsor an award. Contact us through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians, or head to our website, awardsaustralia.com. It would be great if you could share this episode with your network because who doesn't like a good news story? And please rate and review us. We would really love to hear your thoughts. Until next week, stay safe. And remember, together we make a difference. Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.